This is Pace the Nation. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Pace the Nation, broadcasting back here at Studio 1A in downtown Arlington, Virginia. We are back again in Clarendon, of course, for episode number 272. And alongside me, and I'm not even going to mention why she's away back in West Arlington, my wife, co-host, Julie Cully. Julie, what's up? Hey, we discussed this last time because every time I come in the studio, I end up sitting right next to you and sharing a screen. That's yeah. Well, you know what? I <laughs> promised I've, I've under delivered. I don't over promise. You'll be in studio sometime soon. The fact of the matter is, Julie, both of us are sick. Well, I'm sick. The family's sick. You don't need to be around me anyway. So no, we're quarantined no. in separate spots. I'm glad you it's called out your me. raspy voice from the get go. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's what's, yeah, that, that, so uh, I, I apologize from the onset that the voice is a little banged up. It wasn't a late night at the bar. It's just something's going around. That would be a better story. Oh, you love, you love talking about <laughs> that. Something's going around. I can't stand around. that. that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got a big show. Good to see you. Glad to be back. Uh, you are back in town from a couple trips that I want to get to. Um, the Boston Marathon being one of them. Mm -hmm. And let's start there. I'm okay. really excited uh, to have a guest who ran the Boston Marathon. We'll get to him in a moment. But you were at the Boston Marathon, and you were on a super inspiring podcast. Tell us about that show. We gotta, and we got to get Dana on uh, as, as a guest on Pace the Nation as well. Well, Brooks hosted a bunch of live conversations at the Hyperion House. We called it the Hyperion House or the Hype House 2.0. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one was in Atlanta in 2020. Yes. Um, but we rented a, uh, a uh, brownstone on Newbury Street and had decked the whole place out. It was gorgeous and had some really inspiring and incredible conversations the entire weekend. Um, mine just being one of many, but Dana Giordano uh, interviewed me. She has a podcast and uh, I think it's called more than running. Is that what it's yep. called? More than running podcast. Yep. Um, and she's part of the Sidious mag family and uh, just an awesome conversation. She is really good. She's a yeah. really good interviewer. Um, really made me feel comfortable up there. And we had a, a really cool conversation, but there were a lot of inspiring things that happened in Boston that weekend. So um, it's just well, one you, of those times where everything kind of comes together and there's incredible people and incredible moments. And yeah, for the audience, if you, if you're running, you know, it, if you run it, you know, it, even if you're not running, if you're spectating, if you're there to run the 5k, if you're there just to soak in all the events, it's an inspiring weekend and Brooks really did it well. And, uh, we will tweet out that episode of the podcast. So our listeners can hear you not as the interviewer, but as the interviewee. Because you were a great interviewee. You told a great, inspiring, inspiring story. Great storyteller you are, Julie. Oh, wow. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. And Dana did I a guess that's job why you hired me for Pace the Nation. Yeah, exactly. That's why I or, make the big bucks around yeah. here. Or maybe because Docs and Joanna quit. Um, <laughs> now, um, you, know, you were all that was left. Yeah, you know what? So, speaking of Docs and Joanna, the last time our guest was on, because we've had our guest on, Docs and Joanna were part of the show. Uh, today, I'm really excited to have Tom Foreman on the show. He was way back in 2016. He was on the show. Episode 57, Tom Foreman was on the show. Uh, he's a CNN reporter. He's an author. Uh, he is. He was, at the time, I remember, again, episode 57, as we hear at episode 272, you know, 200 plus episodes later. People said Tom was your best guest ever. No pressure, Tom. <laughs> you got to deliver on, uh, round two. On, on, on that on round two. But he was an awesome guest. And we talked about his book at the time. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about that. But he, like you, Julie, was at the Boston Marathon. 
So uh, we'll talk to Tom about his experience there running the Boston Marathon uh, and a lot more. So author, CNN correspondent, Tom Foreman joins us next here on Pace the Nation. Pace the Nation is brought to you by Pacers Running Stores. Pacers has six stores in Northern Virginia and D.C. For the best running footwear, apparel, and gear, just stop by or schedule a virtual fitting with the best running experts in the business. Pacers Running exists to help as many people as possible through running. For every run, it's Pacers Running. All right, welcome back to the program. And now, Julie, we are excited to be joined by CNN correspondent, author, and runner, ultramarathon runner, Tom Foreman. Tom, how are you? I'm I'm well. How are you? We are doing great, man. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Are you you joining us from Bethesda, your home studio? No, I'm at there? CNN right now, down You're a couple blocks from the Capitol. Yeah, and I'm excited to be with you. Thank you for inviting thank, me well, back. Well, well, thank you so much. I, I just said, as before you joined us, you were back uh, in 2016, June 4th, you were on our show. It was a little bit different iteration of our yeah. show. We had a couple of different hosts, and you came to our studio at the time. And yeah. Uh, it was a great show. It kind of, we went from topic to topic to different topics. And then you said, what are we talking about here? The circus. And that's what we ended up naming the episode. You probably don't remember, but do you we remember? Talked being about on, that. We talked yeah. about food. We talked about yes. cooking to yes. some degree. I can't yes. remember what we cooked, but we talked about cooking. We, we did. We did. But we did talk about running as well. And that's what we wanted to have. Running while wanted, cooking. Running while cooking. Yeah. Um, Very and, talented. And we did want to want to have you uh, on to talk about running. Uh, we talked at the time. We talked about your book. The book is is out there. It's My Year Running Dangerously by Tom Foreman. You can get it wherever books are sold. How 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 has it been? Six years. We we checked in with with the book. Then book sales brisk. Yeah, they've been selling. fine. It's no, been they've good. done they've done really well, and I still get uh, you know I still get. Uh, social media and emails and every now and then actual physical letters from people wow that just come out of nowhere and that yeah. honestly that is by far the most gratifying part of the whole thing just hearing from people out there runners of all different stripes sometimes non-runners but mm -hmm. mainly runners from all over saying hey this made a difference to me or i laughed or i felt inspired or i listened to it while running a marathon those always kind of drive me wild when i, I hear those uh, you know the, the best part this book came out in chinese too i've never heard anything from china <laughs> wow. about it yeah and the title in chinese is run big uncle <laughs> run big uncle okay. did you run choose that you didn't no. have a choice in that yeah. No, I got a copy of the book. I had a copy of it, and I have a colleague who uh, who speaks Chinese, and I said, what does this say? Because I knew it didn't say what I thought it said. Right. And she said, oh, it says Run Big Uncle. Oh. So there are some people in the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club who call me Big Uncle. When we're running races, I go, hey, Big Uncle. Big Uncle. Go, right, so glad, to have, about that. Yeah. glad to have Big, big Uncle on the show. Uh, big uncle. So I'm looking forward to there's going to be a big tour of China at some point. Yeah. I just know it. So, Tom, remind our audience uh, about the book, why you wrote the book, because you were a runner, you ran a marathon when you were in your 20s, and then mm -hmm. decided to run another marathon, because why? Well, I did I did four marathons in my 20s, and then uh, in my 50s, my older daughter was in college and said, could you help me train for my first marathon? And I really thought marathoning was behind me, mm -hmm. but your kids ask you for things, you do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. So we uh, we trained and I had a good time. And frankly, because I was a natural runner when I was younger, I'd never really trained. I just kind of piddled yeah. at it and then ran. So I figured in my 50s, I could no longer do that. So for the first time in my life, I actually trained for running yep. and found it to be a really enjoyable experience. And that turned into this year. I had no idea I was going to write a book about it. I was just having a good time in which I ran, uh, I think it was four Half Four marathons, half marathons, three yeah. full marathons, yeah. and my first 55-mile ultramarathon, which I'd never heard of before that wow. point. Yeah. And then to promote the book moving forward, I, I, when I finished this, it just seemed like such an interesting single year to go from nothing, almost nothing, to doing all that in one year. To promote the book, at one point, I did uh, the Chicago Marathon. Then two weeks later, I did five marathons in five days. Wow. Mm. one of which was the Marine Corps Marathon. Then two days after that, I did the New York City Marathon. 
And then two weeks after that, I did the stone mill 50 miler again. And that was a really interesting experiment because I, I had never really reached that kind of Mike Wardian level of running. <laughs> and it was, uh, and it was really quite an experience and, and a lot of fun and, uh, a, a tremendous learning process because when I started the New York city marathon, my Ronnie, the one who's featured in the book ran that with me that year. And when I started New York city, uh, I was, you know, nine miles in, I felt like you typically would feel at 22 or 23 miles. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. Anyway, it was good fun. That's not when, good. When you say quite well, the experience, is that is that because now when you reflect on it, you can't remember how hard it was, and you can't remember how like d- like how the body actually felt? I feel like a lot of times we go through that experience, and then we, you know, a few years later, look back and say, you know, it wasn't that bad? What what was that experience like? Well, you know, I I don't know if it was that bad. You mm. you know. Ultra running is just a different thing for most of us. It's more about reaching this stasis where forward movement is a normal part of what you're doing. Okay. And you're thinking about everything else and doing everything else, and you're just moving a lot. Now, I will say, on the third of the five marathons in a row, after the third one, my wife uh, said to me that the next morning I just was I was just really moving slowly and having a hard time getting going, and she said. I think you're not eating enough. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, I'm doing fine. She said, well, why don't we, we were on the road because we were sort of doing these runs as a series of runs up to New York for the New York City Marathon and a presentation there at the, at the marathon. And I uh, said, well, all right. And she said, look, there's an IHOP. Let's pull in. And she's like, what do you want? I said, I, I don't know if I want anything. And then I proceeded to eat everything on the table. <laughs> Suddenly I became aware of this. Oh, no, I'm you really, need more really hungry. And yeah. it made a huge difference. Got to kind of bounce back, but yeah. But I don't know that it's something I would necessarily do again, in large part because it just took a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I don't know right. if I have the juice for that either, but yeah. you never know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, the book again is "My Year Running Dangerously." Chris, put a picture of that up when you uh, do the edit for me. "My Year Running Dangerously" by Tom Foreman. Get it wherever books are sold. Um, maybe that's not in you but you are still at it and you're still running. Do you regret that you didn't run marathons throughout your thirties and forties now that you've got the bug again? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I would like, it would be fun to be able to say I had that continuum in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, long distance running means trade outs. Yeah. And I would not have sure. traded the other things I've done, the, the professional experiences I've had more importantly, right. the family experiences I have. When I was speaking to, whenever I speak to uh, marathoning groups, particularly beginners or people who think they might want to marathon, I often say to them, look at your life, ask yourself what else you care about. And really, if you have young children, ask about it. Man, you are speaking to me right now, Tom. We got three young kids, five, three and eight months. And, and I give him a running. hard time That's all the message. time. Yeah. Well, they're right. they're and and look, I I don't I don't think anybody's ever loved their children more than we loved ours. <laughs> but children take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They take a lot of time, and they need time when they need it, not always when you want them to have it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that makes running schedules really hard. So while I kept a little bit of running going over all those years, a little bit, and again, I was a natural runner, so it wasn't that hard to do a little bit. Um, I was, I was kind of happy I did it the way I did. And, and to come back to it also made it incredibly fresh and new and to explore new things. So what I, what I've been doing more so since the book came out and after a bunch of crazy running, I really, uh, a few years back sort of got refocused on the idea of, well, could I actually be fast? Cause I always thought I just had Mm -hmm. a lot of endurance, but that I wasn't fast, but you have to bear in mind when I was running those first marathons, the science of being fast was not know. widely known. Way different. Right. Yeah. We had no so idea. True. And for casual runners, I didn't have a clue. Right. So uh, a few years ago, I started focusing on the idea of what does it mean to be fast and how do you get to be fast? Mm-hmm. And like a lot of people, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to qualify for Boston? Mm-hmm. Because that, you know, if you're not going to be an Olympian, which most of us aren't, <laughs> that's about as close as you get, right? The closer you get, if you get into Boston, you feel like, hey, this is as close as I'll ever get to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And it's a great and wonderful feeling to say 
that you did that and that it worked for you, you know? So, so that's, uh, that's why I sort of started refocusing on that and doing all sorts of things I'd never done before, like speed work mm. and, and attacking hills, not just for endurance, but for the force multiplier that they are. And I really adopted this, uh, slowly moved into this mantra that every mile has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you need to run as if every mile has a purpose. And that really includes the days you don't run, which the older you get become more important, and the times when you run easy. And I have become a giant believer in the idea that you truly have to have at least two speeds and you have to be able to feel them. And most people don't. As you know, you know the mantra, I'm sure you've talked about it. Most people run their slow yep. runs too fast, which means they run yep. their fast runs too slow. Right. So I, I've really he is worked speaking on to me. He is yourself. speaking to me. This is good, Tom. I this is uh, something I need to hear. So thank you. Well, <laughs> let me let me tell you something. I, I'll tell you something. This is I'm jumping all yeah. around, but yeah. this will probably speak to you. Um, at a qualifying race for Boston in Erie, the Erie Marathon out on Prescott Isle up there. Yep. Um, it's a two lap race. Beautiful little course. Nicely run. A lot of people trying to get late qualifications there, late BQs. Yep. Um, I, I said, I'm going to fall in behind the pace group that will bring me in uh, 10 minutes under my qualifier. And I'm going to do that because then I just don't have to do math. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't you know, you know that Someone else is thinking for you. Right. You're not constantly yeah. doing this whole thing. And I had really embraced the, the no watch me movement. Mm. The idea of saying, don't look at your watch all the time run the best race you can and don't be a slave to your watch. And in fact, the first time I qualified up in Marquette, Michigan, I looked at my watch at the beginning in the first few miles, just to make sure I wasn't crazy. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you're way over running or way under running and you just can't feel it that day. Mm -hmm. I looked a couple times in the first few miles. I then did not look at my watch again until mile 23. Wow. Because my belief was I'm either in at that point or I'm not. Right. And if you see that and you're 10 miles away, if you're like six at mile 16 and you do that, if you're behind, you are not going to make it up. You, yeah. There's a reason you're behind. And if you're way over, you run the terrible risk of then saying, Oh, I'm way over. I should pull way back. Right. And you might slide right back past the other way. That's okay. good. Don't look I, I, at the watch. I'm watch. with you because mile 16, emotionally, if you know you're not there, that's a long last 10 miles. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, and then, so then that, that takes me back to, to the run at Erie. What happened at Erie, we did the first lap. First lap was grand, having a great time cruising along. And uh, I found myself as we started the second lap, second half, inadvertently drifting in front of the pace group. And it kept happening and I kept opening a bigger gap. And then I said, oh, well, I'm feeling great. I should go. And, and, being guys like eight other guys followed me which is mm. believe me don't follow right. me <laughs> but they all drifted out with me too and the gap got bigger and bigger and then after three miles i had a moment of clarity and i said what are you doing yeah you had a plan for this race right and you have 10 miles to go just what you just said chris yeah. 10 miles to go yep and I stepped off the course. I went to a portalette and I stood on the side of the course and waited for the pace group to catch up. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Because That's I thought really cool. I need discipline more than I need effort right now. Yeah. You had to check yourself emotionally at that yeah. point because and you were felt, getting excited. You're totally right, Julie. And I fell in with these people again and ran. We caught every single, single one, one of the other guys yeah. who went. We caught yeah. all of There's them. eight guys who followed you. You caught them all. Yeah. Right. And then when we hit the last uh, two miles, maybe three or two miles, I can't remember. Then I cut loose wow. and I flew and I picked up like an extra couple of minutes in the last few miles. Wow. Finished way in front of the pace group. Super happy about it. And had a really good, you know, like a BQ of more than 12 minutes or something like that. And that, boy, that was a really, that was a really great experience. But all of that has been great because it's made me enjoy the fact that, that at a point in my life when I can probably, I guess, enjoy the last few fast years I'm going to have, <laughs> yeah. I guess, I don't yeah. know.
Well, you're a student of the sport, Tom, and that's really significant. I mean, I think yeah. that's where people make huge gains is understanding yeah. the speed part of it, understanding oh, yeah. how to discipline yourself. Do you train with anyone when you go out and do some of these interval workouts? Well, once in a blue moon, I'll run with people. I usually run alone just because my schedule is so squirrely that the extra time it would take to connect with people yeah. is complicated. The biggest I, I mean, I will run with the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club, a great, great club, great yeah, people. Absolutely. I just got to have friends there. And uh, when my wife has been in training programs, I have gone with her like on Saturdays or Sundays when they have training and I will just run by myself. But invariably, that means I run into other club members and we all I'll run with them for a while and we'll, we'll chat, you know, Barry Halpman, that that whole bunch of good, yeah. good folks. So and, and it's awesome. nice. I, I think I would be I will say this, Julie, I think I would be faster if I trained more with other people who drove me a little bit more. Yeah. But that's a little hard to do. Uh, the biggest thing I miss about speed training or now that I do more, you know, focusing on speed is I really get a lot less time on the trails. Right. Okay. Yeah. And when you're yeah. training for road races, uh, when you're trying to do a really good road race trails, I, I think make you stronger in a lot of ways, but they're not really they the best for that because they're so uneven and so different. And at my age, injuries, well, not just my age, you're <laughs> over 40, you're over 40, injuries hang around longer. Yeah, they do. And I can't, I really don't want to catch a root, catch a rock, go down and have some injury that hangs with me for a month and a half and wipes out my training. Yeah, the soft surface certainly saves the body, but if it's a trail that's a little bit more rugged, you're putting yourself at risk. Yeah, if I want a soft surface, I, mean, I can run the canal path over right. here, which I do a lot, and that's yeah. relatively soft depending on the, how dry things are. Well, it sounds like there well, is could... a next chapter for you because you have the opportunity still to maybe train with people if it does at some point fit in your life. You said speed might be... You may only have a few more years of that, but I don't know. I think the opportunity to train with people is. I don't know. Maybe, that. maybe that's right. And speed. I don't know. I mean, you look at Gene Dykes, you mm -hmm. know, what is Gene? He's over 70 now and he's yeah. still right at the edge of a three hour marathon. It's crazy. That's incredible. That's incredible. great. That's fantastic. So. Well, Tom, Tom, Tom does a lot of, uh, he, he posts a lot of awesome running content, more running content, I think, than, than your work content. It's Tom Foreman, <laughs> CNN, uh, he, great trail runs, both on Twitter and Instagram. And Julie, I know you wanted to touch base with him about Boston. You were there and Tom was there too. Yeah. Tom, tell me about your experience this year. I was oh, up man. there. I mean, I was there, I work for Brooks. I was there, um, on behalf of Brooks. It was just incredible. I mean, I know that Boston happened, you know, oddly this past fall, but this really felt like homecoming for Boston. What was that experience like for you? Well, you nailed it there. That was great. Plus the, the super joy of getting to run it twice in such a short frame of time. Right. Yeah. And the weather and the weather was really very similar, wasn't it? It was a little little warmer in the fall. Right. But it was just what a beautiful, beautiful race. And I met some of your uh, Brooks people up there. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Um, who's your Who's your speed team people? I can't remember. Uh, who they're. Oh, the our, blue, lead, our blue line. The, team? the brothers. You had a brother. You have some brothers who are leading. Oh, Hanson brothers. brothers. Oh, the, the Hanson. 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 Yes, yeah. I met. I met one of them. I was at dinner with. Uh, I had this great experience. It was a great experience. Uh, Howie Kafleski, who is. Oh, Howie. Meds. Were you part of his birthday celebration? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. So Catherine yes. Switzer was there and Dave McGilvery come yep. came by and Meb was there and and a bunch of their great young runners. And we had this great, great visit. And uh, and we were chatting. In fact, uh, Meb and I and uh, what's uh, which which one of the, the brothers was there? Kevin. It was Kevin. Yeah. Was it Kevin? He was. Yeah. We were all uh, the three of us were sitting over there having this big discussion about speed and running as an older person. Okay, which, this is which where not, we are, this is which our is topic. Not, which is not to give away secrets, but something that I really have been considering. I've, I've been working, I've got about 25,000 words on a follow-up book. Okay, all right. Book, and I don't know if I'll, I don't know where I'll be in finishing it, but it's been about the, the notion of trying to get fast. I feel like there's a big announcement coming on this show. Wow. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's about the idea of, of trying to get fast. Yeah. But I've also been talking to people and the conversation that Kevin and Mev and I were having 
is about this other project, which I've been talking about, which is, should I write something about older running? Yeah. Because there's almost nothing about it. It's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. The problem, you know what all of us are doing, and you guys are younger than me, but all of us end up looking at training plans that are put together for 30-year-olds yeah. and trying to do math in our head and say, well, maybe I don't have to do this one, or maybe right. I should skip that one. But here's a really simple question. When you are 30 years old, 35, 25, good standard, just to begin with, is if you're going to marathon, you should be doing 40 miles a week. Mm-hmm. Yep. What if you're 55? Right. right. How does it Still scale? 40 miles? Yeah. More? Less? Yeah. Nobody knows. Right. Because we don't know how much the, the wear and tear, how much your body can take, how much recovery you need. So I really have thought it would be worth talking to some people and putting together a fun and interesting book about this question just because there is there is so little worthwhile information about it and and i think what has happened is we as a country so many of us have grown up in this sport now right that there are a whole lot of people who previously you know a a generation ago would have said well i'm 40 now time to give up that racing right and now i think many of us are saying I would like to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would like to be able to do this when I'm 50, when I'm 60, when I'm 70. How do I do that? What's or even start doing it. We have so yeah, many right. people who are coming into it for the first time because maybe they, you know, are just at a place in their life where they have, you know, they need something, they they want to get outside, you know, they want to yep. exercise and they see these races with people up into their 90s complete, completing them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. people are inspired. And, and yeah. I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. There is nothing that exists right now that really gets people started, that coaches yeah. people at, at, at later ages. Which is a long way of saying Boston was great. Yeah. <laughs> you're <laughs> like, I got validation for no, this book that I want to that I want to continue to so write. Yeah. I, I, I got to ask you, and, and, and Julie does work closely with Kevin Hansen mm-hmm. and, 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 yeah. and Meb's brother, uh, Howie. Howie yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you saw Meb actually at the finish line, yeah, which was super great. I was having a decent run. It was yeah. a great run. I had yeah. kind of hoped to, to grab a BQ at Boston, which okay. would have been fun. And I, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have a great training cycle this time. And, you know, you learn to take that. It's some, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. Yep. This just wasn't a great exactly. cycle. I didn't have any injuries, but I just didn't have a lot of mojo going. But it was a beautiful morning. I went out and had a, my wife did, oh my God, my wife Linda did a beautiful weather read. Because we've been talking about weather forever and it was almost perfect, right? But she went out that morning and she said, okay, put on this and this, drop this at the start, you'll be fine in this. Wow. Which you kind of know anyway, but it's nice sometimes when you're wrestling at the last minute. Yep. And her timing was spot on. The temperature hit just the right point when I started. Had a wonderful, wonderful run. I just had so much fun and it was beautiful. And I managed to, I I typically, when a race is done, I typically go back and I, I will chart out the the flow of the race and this was boston 2021 of course yeah way too fat on the miles at the end right so for the audience who is uh listening via audio oh yeah yeah. he's got a graph um and you can see that on the video just a bar graph yeah 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 but i do that all the time after races so that i can really see what actually happened versus what i think happened Mm -hmm. i haven't done that for this boston yet i think i'm going to find that i was uh that my I did not run negative splits, but the difference between my splits was not as bad as it was in 2021. It was a little closer to level. And I did, uh, you can't bank time, but you can bank energy. And I, I really brought brought energy in the last few miles and was flying. I can't imagine how many people I passed in the last mile and a half because people are just kind of, you know, they're choked. Yeah. And I was just going, going, going and flying. And yeah, and so I came across the line and I'd already seen Meb a couple of times that weekend. We were having this great busy, just a wonderful person. And, and we have a lot of fun. And I crossed the line and Meb was standing at the finish line. I mean, this is where he won a few years ago. And, right. and I pass and I'm standing right next to him. And I go, Meb, what are you doing here? <laughs> Meb was standing there to give an award to the brother of Martin Richard, who is the yes. eight-year-old boy who was killed in the Boston bombing. Yes. His brother was wow. running the marathon. 
I heard so, that story. Wow. Yeah, yes. it was great. So I crossed the line. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, I'm here to give an award to Martin's brother because Meb has done a, a lot with his family to help yeah. you know promote the, the charity work and everything else going on with this. And Meb says to me, he says, are you okay? So you want to, can you hang out here? I'd like you to meet everyone. And I'm sure. So, I mean, I just crossed the line. That's awesome. And I'm standing there. And then he turns to one of uh, the guys who helps him out there, John, a wonderful guy. And he says, John, do you have a medal? Because you, know, you have to walk, you know, 30, 40 feet after every yeah. race you get your medal. And John goes, yeah. And all of a sudden, Meb pulled out the medal. And on the finish line, he gives me my medal. You're kidding. And I'm like, awesome. oh, this man, guy this won, is... the, mar won yeah. the marathon a few years back. Aww. That's yeah, so I mean, the, only, the only guy who's ever won Boston, won New York, and an Olympic medal in the marathon. Yep. Yep. And it was just, uh, it was great. And so great we moment. stood around there and visited, and I, I met uh, Martin's family briefly, and uh, then they had to go off and do things. And, and Meb and I said, you know, we'll check in with each other later, and we have. And uh, that's awesome. it was a pretty great, that's a pretty great way. I don't that think my a... Boston finish is ever going to be better than that, <laughs> unless I win next year, which right. maybe, <laughs> maybe, you never know. All right, we're with Tom Foreman, uh, Tom Foreman CNN. Give him a follow on Twitter, Instagram, social media. Um, then you ran Big Sur six days later. Mm -hmm. Man, mm -hmm. what was that all about? Oh, that's my uh, older Ronnie, the one who's featured so much in the book. Yes. Uh, she and I have run Big Sur together four times, wow. maybe five. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We've done it several times. It's sort of a family thing. We all go out there. She was totally not ready this year. I say this. With the greatest love and respect. Um, she's totally not ready. She's getting married later this year. Boy, wow. you want to blow your mind. Wait till your kids are getting yeah. married. It's like wow. That <laughs> she works for uh, she works for SpaceX. Uh -huh. yep. Oh, she, very cool. She, oh, and she also is a coach on the anti gravity plane. Wow, which is like hilarious. That's um, really so cool. She, yeah, so she does that. So she uh, uh, she and I run that one together. It's just a fun thing that we enjoy. Beautiful doing. race. And yeah, oh my god, yeah, oh, yeah. such a beautiful marathon. And uh, and there was their first time back too, in in right, you know, since pre pandemic. Since and I know the people yeah. with the race organization out there, and they're just really really good people. So uh, my younger daughter Allie and my wife Linda did the like seven mile event, whatever it is up there, um, the same day. So the whole family is together. We're having this great time. We go out to the start line, and like I said, I know a bunch of people with the organization. It was great seeing them, and Ronnie and I just had fun. She was, she was, unprepared and and having a blast because we just laughed and talked, and her legs were killing her. And I was like, "Come on, we'll have a good time." And we, we just you know ate strawberries and <laughs> trotted in nice and slow and walked a lot for her to help her out. And it was, it was great fun. And in the last mile or last two miles, there's one last hill near the end. And they let traffic, uh, sort of escorted traffic up in the opposite lane, going the same way we are, because they don't, mm -hmm. it's Highway 1. If you shut down Highway 1, you shut down kind of everything there. And uh, I was sort of feeling fun and having a good time. So I started racing cars up the hill <laughs> um, just for, for grins. And, uh, and it, it, I think it actually kind of worked well, because I think everybody in that little cluster of runners, I think they were all hurting pretty badly. And I think it took their yeah. mind off the hill because they were like, who's this idiot? And, <laughs> right. and it was really fun. That was so much, so nice. Yeah. So that was Big Sur. And I love Big Sur. Yeah. If you can, here's my, if you can never, if yeah. you get into Big Sur, not a big race, you got to get in by lottery. Yep. Um, I think we may, we may have some advantage now because if you get a streak, you've going, been doing that it. Yeah. Right. So we've done it a lot. But uh, the great deal is, man, you fly into like San Jose. Go up to Yosemite for a few days. Oh, wow. Drive down to Monterey, run the race. Bob's your uncle. Go home. That's great, <laughs> right? I've I've not run it, but I've run some of the course with oh, with man. Adrenaline. It, it's it something, is pretty awesome. It? Yeah, it's beautiful. All right, I could talk a lot about. I do. I got a couple questions, Tom. That I'm I'm really I I love your reporting on CNN, and I just got some random inside baseball questions. Like oh, ask. that that are interesting to me, probably, I don't know, maybe interesting to the audience or not. Um, so, all right, so let's let's go back to a story you did recently, and what a crazy couple years it's been in the news. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, I, and you cover, it. Tell well, first tell us uh, what what you do for CNN, what you cover for CNN. Uh, everything. everything. I've, always, yeah. I've always been a general assignments person yep. ever since I started in this business and i like it that way because it's a 
I think I don't know who, who coined the phrase years ago. You try to be a jack of all trades and master of several. <laughs> and it's uh, and it's uh, it's really nice to I, I just like it that way because it lets me cover whatever is interesting that day. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and not just interesting, important. Yep. So I like it that way. So I cover everything. So, yeah. So war, COVID. I mean, there's so much going mm -hmm. on. One one story, random story. I don't even know if you remember. Um, I remember you were reporting on an unruly passenger on a flight who had a he was trying to open the the, the, the flight door. He mm -hmm. had a coffee pot attacking mm -hmm. a, t attacking a flight attendant. No, anyway, he, he got hit with a coffee pot. He got hit with a coffee he, pot. Yeah. That was what it was. Yeah, he was yeah. trying to open the, the the door. Anyway, so I think it was Jake Tapper who was um, mm -hmm. who was interviewing you. Or, or, or talking to you about mm -hmm. it. But for mm -hmm. those two minutes, it is fascinating to me. I felt like you knew so much about this story. I felt like you were on the plane with them. Like, how do you, how do you know? Like, how do you like, and you're able to get in and out so quickly in two minutes and sum up the story so quickly. It's just a fascinating skill. And I, I just, I'm in awe of it. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I will, I will say, um, um, I've been doing this since high school, so mm. I've been doing news reporting for more than 40 years now. And part of it is there are two things. One, and I don't I'm, I've, I've never been in the least bit kind of a corporate guy. Mm -hmm. I'm barely a company guy in that my and <laughs> that my argument with people, I always say to people, I don't work for anybody. I work with people. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is. And that's I how like I expect it. people to be with me, too. Um, that said, um, CNN is a great, great news organization. The reason I have the information I have on many stories, some of it is material that I gather myself, but a lot of it is, is material that our network gathers because we have so Got many it. wonderful producers, so many wonderful correspondents. And the nature of network reporting versus local reporting, which is where I came from, in local reporting, you really have to do it almost all yourself. Mm -hmm. At a network, you have to hit this perfect synthesis of what you do yourself with what your organization has also put together. And, and the editorial standards here are really high. High, right. I know people have complaints, people have what they can say with it, and it doesn't mean we don't get things wrong. Everybody does sometimes. Mm -hmm. But the editorial standards are very high. So before I put information into a piece, it has been through a lot of people. So that if is. I don't know it myself, it's been through a lot of people and it has been checked. And even if I do know it myself, I have to send it through other people and have mm -hmm. them check it and say, mm -hmm. is this right? And then, Chris, I think what, what makes the difference ultimately is you have to say, how do you, I, honestly, I think this second part of it, I think, comes down to writing. Okay. I think it comes down to, to knowing how to tell a story in a way that I hope for people is transportive and makes them feel feel as i like to describe it you want people to forget they're watching tv or that they're mm -hmm. watching the news mm -hmm. you want them to just hear the story and if they hear it well to understand the story and that's a lot of there's a, a saying about journalism which i really like which is journalism is the art of knowing what to leave out mm -hmm. so you're not leaving out something that's critical for understanding but you're you're trying to clear away all the debris so people really understand what happened they have a sense of, of the when, where, what, why, all of that, how. And and they can take that in, especially if it's for TV. You want them to be able to take that in while taking care of the dog and cooking the pork chops. <laughs> Quickly. Right, 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 right. right. And, and you need to make the story simple without making it simplistic. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important key here. And I often tell young young writers here when they're trying to learn to write better i one of the things i'll say to people is read poetry read poetry because hmm. poetry is often simple in that it may be six or eight lines you know certain poems or 12 lines but it's not simplistic hmm. because it is so carefully chosen and so carefully rendered good poetry man is there a lot of bad poetry, <laughs> good poetry classic wonderful great poetry um does such an extraordinary job of creating what, what I refer to as the espresso of language that it just, boy, it's incredible. You can't read. I, I don't think you can read a lot of poetry in a day, not if it's good poetry. 
because those eight lines will sink into you in a way that will just consume you for a really long yeah. period of time. And you may spend days thinking about it and, and sort of sussing out the meaning of it all. So anyway, the second part of that is the writing. You're trying to say under a deadline with all the constraints of what we know and what we don't know, with the constraint of trying to make sure you're conveying the truth, not merely, not merely facts and certainly not opinion, but the truth with all those constraints now fashion these words into something that gives people meaning and in the end lets them feel like they learned something. Tom, tell us a little bit about how, you know, the reporting of news affects your daily life, you know, particularly when we're talking about, you know, what's been happening in the world in the last two years um, through COVID, certainly war in Ukraine right now. Does that take a toll? And I mean, I, I know it sounds really simple to say it this way, but does it take a toll on your running? Does it take a toll oh. on your, you know, your emotional state day to day? Like, how do you the make second, that separation or, or can you? The second part, I think, uh, you know, you know, it's interesting. I think the second part is something that hundreds of millions of Americans can attest to because we've lived through this super strange time of the past couple of years that I think has taken a toll on a huge number of people. I think we're going to see vestiges of how this has affected people for at least a generation. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I mean, I think there are lots of normal people out there who don't really even follow the news that closely, who feel enormously beaten up by the past mm -hmm. couple of years. And I yeah. totally understand that. Um, I do think that it's interesting when I was younger covering the news, it didn't bother me much. And I would go to horrendous murder scenes and all sorts of you know, all the mayhem that happens in the world. And it didn't bother me as much because I was so trying to do the job well. Right. I didn't, I, I kind of didn't have time to spend a lot of time thinking about how I felt about it. I just had to, just the process of rendering news, especially TV news, was so cumbersome right. and difficult that I was just really busy with that. I thought as I got older, one of the problems would be that I felt less emotion about it because you just you're steeped in it so much the opposite has been true in that i've grown good enough at the job that i don't fear whether i'll get it done in time right or that i'll be good at it or, or correct at it and that has freed my mind much more to think about the reality of what these things are and it's it's very um it's hard and it's disturbing in a way and there are I, I very consciously have times when I'm like, okay, I'm on my way home and I will not be listening to the news on the way home. Mm -hmm. Or I get home and my wife will have the TV on on news and I will say, mm, yeah, we can find, we got to watch, you know, a comedy or a right. movie or, you know, Grace and Frankie, what a great series that was. <laughs> and, but just, just something that, you know, changes the mood and I and I'll or I'll read part of a book or I'll put on music I really like and that really helps you know kind of take you out of that space. I do wonder, I will say I actually have wondered about what is the wear and tear of a lifetime doing this in the same sense that you know I think somebody who spent a lifetime working in an ER or a lifetime yeah. being a police officer or a paramedic. I think oof that's that's tough on people, you know. Well, so Oh, you asked about how it affects running. And it, well, running's got to help, right? Running helps. Oh, running, of course, helps. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge release from all the stuff that we that we have to do, um, uh, day in and day out. You know, it's kind of nice to do. And now look, it's active. Reaching for a tissue. I'm thinking about all the mayhem in the world. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, running helps immensely, especially yeah. trail running. Yeah. Oh my gosh, at the height of COVID. Oh my gosh, I would go out and hit the trail. Some of the trails I run out here, and they're not way out. I mean, you know, DC is actually I know. surprisingly Got great trails. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I would go out and hit the trail, and I'd do you know, 9, 12 miles, 15 miles, and I'd see five people. It's mm -hmm. amazing. Which in, yeah. at the height of COVID was great. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, right. uh, we'd, I'd knock out huge miles that way. Yeah, very much centering, very calming. Because of the schedule we keep, like this morning I had to come in here, I had to get up at 4.30 this morning. 
to be in here. That's kind of hard. And you're not going to, I'm not going to do a morning run before that. <laughs> At three. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So, so I do a lot of time shifting, a lot of, okay, I can't run this morning, so I'll run tonight or I can't run, or, you know, sometimes it's things like I really can't fit in a long training run on Saturday or Sunday, but maybe Monday morning or maybe Monday evening. I've tried as I've grown older to not run as much in the dark. I used to run limitless miles in the dark and frankly, for a long time without a head a headlight. And then finally, I think I've even recorded in the book where I finally broke down and said, okay, I think I need a headlamp. And now I tend to use a headlamp more. And I try not to run as much after dark because honestly, I think in the past few years, we've also become in many ways an angrier and more distracted society. Right. And that is not a good combination to be running along the side of the road in the dark. Agreed. I think it's just, it's not the best. So even when I go out after dark now, I will try once again as quickly as possible to drop away from roads down onto the canal path or onto trails. Although at night, the lights on the trails at night, it's, it's, it's you know, your headlamp, it's hard to get the right definition and it's really easy to catch a toe and go right. down. And, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, it's not, not the ideal scenario. No, not, not, not at, 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 at the age uh, that we were at for sure. Um, oh man, so... you, I, I wish I were at your age. Yeah, well, I'm 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 getting 46, buddy. 46. 46. 46. Well, a lot, a lot, oh a lot of what you are said you, is are you expected back at the preschool any minute now. 46. <laughs> he, he is actually. I, oh, I, I man. pick up the kids. Um, yeah. All right, Tom. I I really appreciate your time. I, I want to get you out of here on this. Uh, what what's next, man? I mean, running, work, another book in the world. What 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 is next for Tom Foreman? Um, I think I'm probably, uh, with our, our daughter's wedding this fall, I'm being yeah. a little jealous of my time to try to help get ready for that and make that yeah. nice. We're just getting married out in Los Angeles. So that's going to be a whole big shindig. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and so that's going to take some time. That said, my wife and I are still talking about, uh, that I should probably shoot for another BQ this fall. Nice. which I think is probably going to be Erie again because it's a yep. really nice race. It's got the potential in early September. It's September 11th this year. Okay. Isn't this great about the running community? People just off the top of their heads are saying things like, yeah, yeah. well, you know, the Cleveland Marathon, I'll tell you about that one. <laughs> and just, and people just know. Right. I know. You know. I'm, so, I'm targeting Philly. I know exactly before Thanksgiving. Yeah, right, so I'm with right. you, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think I'm going to probably uh, fit that in. Well, Philly's going to be too late for BQ this year. Well, you, yeah, you correct. Probably, you, have, you probably carried BQ. I, I have I one yet. carried over. Yeah, as yeah, I yeah. pat myself so, on the back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's. Uh, <laughs> I read a stat the other day that uh, of all marathoners, people who qualify for Boston, you know, typically you're in the top 10% of your age group mm -hmm. to be in this. Yep. But of all people who ever marathon, um, I think it said that only about four, just over four percent ever qualify for Boston. Wow, amazing! Which is kind of a great feeling, isn't it? That's great. Right? And it's like, it's, that is that's, awesome, Tom. That's yeah. a great thing. It's, it's a good feeling. It's a lot of fun yeah. to be part of that club. And I have a friend, uh, my friend Scott Strider. I, I ran into him at the race because we always check in each other at Boston. He was doing his fortieth Boston. Wow! Wow! Forty in a row. Great, great, great guy, and he's he's you know he's he's sort of beaten up now. He's had you know uh, both hips replaced, and he's still grinding through it. But I ran into him around mile thirteen or so. And we chatted for a moment, and then I kept going. But uh, what's next? I think I, I'm working on some books. I actually have a book out right now, looking for a publisher. Okay. Which is a it's a a novel, um, and it's not about running, but there's a lot of running in it. Okay. It's in a in a sort of a. Uh, uh, it's basically a survival novel and it's okay. about, uh, uh, in, in a nutshell, it's about four people in their late twenties, early thirties who through a series of accidents, the way people have a series of accidents that make decisions that seem fine at the time, but in retrospect, look ridiculous. Mm -hmm. yes. And, uh, they wind, up, they wind up stranded in this incredibly vast and forbidding part of Australia called the Nullarbor plain. Mm. And they're, faced with the horrible choice. What do we do? Do we wait to be rescued in a land where there's very little reason to believe anyone's ever going to come here? Mm. Or do we try to go overland to get out? Which is wisdom. History tells you you don't. 
Mm -hmm. Right. But this becomes the the struggle. And and really what that book is about in many ways is what do you believe in? Mm. Do you believe in yourself? Do you believe in science? Do you believe in history? Do you believe in the team? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in faith? Do you believe in chance? What is it that leads you, especially when you're making that decision, knowing that everything in your life is waiting uh, it depends on you depends making the on right that. decision. So that book is out there right now. I'm working on, as I said, a couple of other books, which I, I say working on them. It's a little bit like when you're pulling up a new running plan, but you haven't started the cycle yet. <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of working on these other things. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be here at CNN at All least right. for several more years. And, uh, and beyond that, you know, trying to, uh, trying to, uh, trying to do, I guess, my part for a lot of people who, you know, family and friends and colleagues and just people who I know, acquaintances who have struggled through the past couple of years like we all have, because I think if people don't do that, I don't know where we're going to be, because I think people really have to try to help each other now, because this has been a trying time. And I've I've completely, my social media now contains, as a practical matter, no criticism of anything. Mm. I'm like, we got too much criticism yeah. of everything. It's like people. Yeah, now you're up, uplifting. Just encourage yeah. people. You know, so it's, I, I try to do that. So that's that's what's next for me. And uh, and my wife and I might get a burrito this evening. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So we did get the food talking. Short Good. term and long term. Yeah, plan. Short term. Got it. Yeah, what's, the, what's the best food you ever had in the long run? Best food. Both. Oh, man. man. I, you know, I ran the JFK 50 miler and okay. finally it was that turkey sandwich. It was the best turkey sandwich I've ever had. It's pretty great, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. What about well, you, Julie? I've never, I've never gone longer than 20. So a good. That's long that's enough. All, that's you all can, I've ever gotten out there. So just a good. You can, you can, you can put, a, put a ham under your arm and pull off pieces <laughs> while you run that 20. I think I, I think the uh, I think it's probably the grilled cheese that I've had oh, that during Stone Mill. I did my last. I did my fifth Stone Mill this past fall, which was really great. And the grilled cheese is great, and the soup is great. Um, oh man, the soup with some noodles in it. I, I saw a guy. Okay, we got to go, I guess. But I, there was a guy some years ago running uh, Stone Mill. We had 13 miles left, and I'd watch. I was having a bad race. This last year was mm-hmm. really kind of. I had a, a blast it was beautiful the the sun went down it got dark the moon came up i oh, ran into yeah. a part of the woods these owls were like lighting up the sky above me and i was like this Incredible. is great but the this one year this guy at 13 miles this guy had been watching him in front of me because i wasn't having a great race but i was kind of watching him to see how he was doing and i thought oh he looks like he's doing okay we went into this aid station with about 13 miles left and he sat down Oof. Which is yeah right. That's the worst thing. <laughs> like, yeah, it's too hard to get back up. <laughs> get behind me, devil. Yeah. <laughs> he sat down in this chair, and I saw the aid station folks. I was drinking some soup real quick, and I saw one of them say to another one, "This woman says to this other woman, go check on that guy.'" And she walks over, and she says, "How are you doing?" And he says in this voice that came from a thousand miles away, he says, "Well." It just feels so nice to sit down. <laughs> I thought you are. This race is out. over. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> yep, no way. Guy's not getting back up. Uh, so, so that too, Chris, maybe in my future. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way. All right, that's Tom Foreman. Uh, he is an author. Uh, the book that is out there, and if you're a publisher, yeah, get con- contact Tom. Let's get this other book out there. Uh, the book that is out there, my year running dangerously. Uh, he's a CNN correspondent. He's also uh, a very, very uh, qualified Boston, qual- multiple time Boston qualified marathon. There it is. There, it is. there, there is. Is the unicorn. <laughs> yeah, there he is. And, and he's going to enjoy a burrito tonight. You uh, <laughs> all right. Tom, awesome stuff. Let's not make it so long until the next time you join us, man. Hey, Thank man, you call me time. anytime. I'm around. Thank you for time. You were, you, were fan- you were fantastic. You guys are fun. Uh, Good talking. Face the Nation is brought to you by Pacers Running Stores. Pacers has six stores in Northern Virginia and D.C. For the best running footwear, apparel, and gear, just stop by or schedule a virtual fitting with the best running experts in the business. Pacers Running exists to help as many people as possible through running. For every run, it's Pacers Running. All right, welcome back to the program, and thanks again to Tom Foreman, CNN correspondent. 
for joining us today on Pace the Nation. Um, Julie, he was great. He was helping me with my running. He was kind of coaching me on how to podcast, how to storytell on the podcast. Man, I, I need this guy to like be my Is life coach. Is that what you got from the interview? I <laughs> yeah, thought we yeah, were no. having a nice conversation. I didn't know it was all directed towards <laughs> All about me. You. I was, you know what? I was taking little tidbits, little snippets that I think could help me in my life. Nothing well, wrong that's with that. because I, I, I slipped him a 20 beforehand to, <laughs> to talk to him about calming down when your children are really young with your own yeah, running. That was, really that was good. amazing. That, that was, was amazing. brilliant. Yeah, Obviously I I'm kidding. I, I mean, li literally I, I was thinking today, like, uh, I'm not going to get a run in. And he said it, he's like, your kids aren't going to necessarily let you run when you think you're going to run and that's okay. And he didn't run and he didn't regret it. And you know, so maybe there's different stages. So he said two things. He said, number one, your children are going to need you when they need you, not when you want them to right. need you. And the second thing yep. was you have to remember that there's more than one thing that you love during this time of your yeah. life and that you have to yeah. prioritize those things. So I thought that was really yeah. really really good advice and i could see the wheels turning for you because you're yep. like ah oh, my wife says that to me all the time but i don't <laughs> ever really listen to her it just kind of goes in one ear out the other like you know mur, mur. there's like too much noise coming from her <laughs> at any given moment but you're like wait a minute i've heard this before i have i've I, heard this before it just takes someone else telling me so <laughs> thank you tom <laughs> all right so, all right, we got to get, we, we, it was great, great interview with Tom. Um, I, I know we, we got to get going, but I wanted to share this quick story, very quick story. Um, we talked about you being in Boston and you were in Boston while I flew the kids to vacation in Key Largo. Mm -hmm. So we flew to Miami with our nanny, Andrea. So Andrea, me, three kids, you were in Boston. Um, you were really kind of nervous about us taking that flight from DCA to Miami. Yes, I no. Shouldn't be because it's it's all lined up. It's all yeah, there. It's all lined I up. left yep. Yep. a lot of lists. You did of things. I talked you about what time you all. need. Talked about I mean, what time you needed to yeah. leave the house. Yep. The things that you needed for the airport. How long it was going to take. Talking yep. about the ride you're going to have. Yep. So, I thought we were good to go, and we were. Cause you had set us up very nicely, but there's always curveballs with three kids. Under oh, six. please don't, don't blame them. This has nothing <laughs> know, no, to no. do with them. No, it has nothing to do with them. You're right. No, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying there's curveballs. I'm not blaming there's them. There's curveballs, but they yeah. had, it had nothing to do with yeah. them. So, um, we, we leave two and a half hours early to get to the airport. Me, our nanny, three kids. My mom was flying in that same day. So I was going to leave the car at the airport and just park really close by so she could pick up the car and take it home. Which, uh, by so the way, was, that was not part of the plan. That was not part of the plan. You and I had discussed, right? But I pivoted and I thought this is a great way to get the car home because how do you get three car seats to the airport? Do you park the car for eight days? It was, it was a conundrum. So I decided my mom would take the car home. We start, we start uh, driving there and we realize we'd forgotten the breast milk. So we get to the airport, we call an Uber to Uber the breast milk over. Fortunately, we had our housekeeper was able to put the breast milk in the car. So that wasn't too big, bad of a setback. I said, all right, you know what? You know, there was going to be something that's going to happen. We made it through. We're good. So Uber driver shows up with a bag of breast milk. I wonder if you've ever, if he's ever done that before. Uh, probably not. Um, so um, we get that and then we check our bags outside. And I'm feeling good two hours before. So I leave the kids with Andrea and I said, bags are packed. We got our tickets. We're ready to go. I just got to go park the car and I'll run back in and we'll go to the gate. What I didn't realize it was some sort of spring break happening. Some sort of spring break. Some <laughs> so, sort of random event. Yeah. So that never every happens. single, every single parking lot, uh, lot was full that was close by. I had to go off the DCA property to park, take a shuttle back in. So now I'm 30 to 40 minutes behind. 
Whew. So now I'm getting a little stressed. You're calling me. You're like, how are things going? I'm like, thumbs up emoji. Or you're texting me. Thumbs up emoji. <laughs> uh, we get we get back to the, to the gate, to the airport, uh, off the shuttle. We race the kids to the gate through, uh, through security. Not too bad, but TSA had to check again the milk for the baby. So that took about 30 more minutes. So I, I take the two older kids. I said, Andrea, I'm going to the gate. So I take the two older kids to the gate, and she's going to, once she's done at TSA, she's going to meet us there. We get there 17 minutes before the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the flight's taken off. Gate closes. I said, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. No, I, I can't miss this flight. I immediately think, what is Julie going to think if I miss this flight? If I miss this flight, she's, she's probably in Boston working hard and she's trying not to worry about us. But I know in the back of your mind, you're worrying about every single step of the way that it's state, whatever we're doing back in DC. So I go to the, uh, I go to the, to, to the person at the gate and I I've got an elevated level of anxiety. I'd say, I said, I, I can't miss that flight. Um, she said, the gates closed. There's nothing we can do. We'll put you on another flight knowing that there was no more flights. So the idea of having to take three kids back home to fly out the next day and do this whole thing over again was pretty overwhelming. So I did maybe my best sales job in my life. I should write a book on how to close a deal on sales. So I told her, listen, my car seats are checked in that flight, I have to get on that plane. And she did some things behind the screen and called some people and typed away. And she said, all right, I'm going to sneak you on. Um, don't say anything. Don't make, don't make, you know, make, make a big scene about it. And they let us on, on the flight. And I, um, I think you're not, you're not telling the whole part about like the angry mob that also showed up that, yeah, there was an angry mob was... that was, not, that's why she, she said, listen, I don't, don't want say anything, don't yeah. say anything because there are 15 other people who also missed the flight, Yeah, but the 15 which, other people, which meanwhile, the flight keeps getting delayed. So the, delayed. the airplane's yeah. so just sitting, sitting there. There is and nothing more frustrating argument... in the world than yeah. a plane sitting there that you see. Yeah. And you're like, just let me on the flight, please. Well, they also closed the gate several minutes before. It's 15 minutes is yes. the, the moment Standard. that they close. Yep. And they closed it early. Yep. So it was. I never heard you that angry. I don't. Uh, that yeah. might be the most angry I've ever heard you. It was not a moment no. for me to say, how did this happen? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. No, this, this, tell was, me how I needed you support. Got here. I tell needed me support. how you got to the gate 17 minutes yeah. ahead of departure. Right. Right. After we had gone through the entire plan and yeah. you arrived two and a half hours. No, it wasn't prior. time for that. T tell, tell me how that happened. <laughs> no, it wasn't time we for talked that. about it a couple of days later after yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. in typical, again, I say things, I say this a lot on the show, typical Chris Farley fashion, right? I think, I think our listeners are probably starting to understand what typical Chris Farley mm -hmm. of uh, typical fashion. Chris Farley fashion is that you somehow figured out how to get on that airplane. And yep. then once you were on the plane, because you guys now had seats all over the place because they yep. had reassigned everybody, you get the entire plane to rearrange, to move, reorganize, yep. and you send me a picture of you guys all sitting next to each other, about ready to take off. And I'm charming. I'm, what it can was, I say? I'm charming. It was lunchtime. Okay, it was like an eleven fifty-five flight. Yeah. I went straight to the bar. <laughs> I because you you called me said we missed a flight. I thought you were kidding. Yeah. You weren't kidding. No. I went straight to the bar. I was like, I can't. You can't do this. Yeah. I don't know if I can. I I don't know if I can go there on Monday. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if they're going to be there. Maybe I'm flying back to D.C. Who knows? Vacation's ruined. So I'm <laughs> well, two beers deep, and then you call me and say, we made the flight. Here we are on the flight. Thumbs up drink, emoji. I never drink at lunch. I, no. This was two full days of stress for me worrying about you guys. It, it is and stressful. I was like, I, was like, I, I, I can't do my it's job. Stressful. 
Yeah. Stress, I'm never, stressful. I'm never, I can't ever leave you again. It just isn't going to work. Which makes that podcast that you did with Dana, the more than running podcast, even more impressive that it was that good. We will tweet out uh, a link to that podcast. I, I, uh, I'm not going to pat myself on the back for that one, but <laughs> thank you. Yes. All right. But back to this podcast. Um, thank you to our friend, Tom Foreman for joining us. He is CNN correspondent. He's a author. He's a runner. Just ran Big Sur and Boston. Uh, thanks for the stories, Tom. Great to have you on Pace the Nation. All right, Julie, we did it again. Another podcast in the books, episode 272. Thanks to Chris behind the scenes. Thanks to you, the listener. All right, for Julie, I'm Chris. This is Pace the Nation. We'll see you next time. When you climb-